In this episode of Emerge, I'm speaking with Moritz Bierling. Moritz is the chief catalyst at Hollow, a project of Holochain, as well as a senior strategist at Exosphere. In this conversation, we explore the idea of an anti-fragile education, the emerging economic niche of currency design, and the fascinating symmetries between a metamodern political theory and the Holochain project. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Emerge. In this episode, my guest is Moritz Berling. Is that how you pronounce your last name, Moritz? Sorry, I should have asked you that before we started recording. Is it Berling? That's completely fine. Um, I, in German, we would say Berling, um, but the nuances don't really matter to me. The same with my first name. Uh, people call me Mo, Moritz, Moritz, Morris. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Thank you. Fantastic. And so, um, we found each other because, uh, you know, I've been in, inquiring into metamodern politics, and you had been interested in that scene. And and then uh, I, I posted an episode on Holochain, and you exclaimed, I think, on Twitter, "Oh wow! Like two of my primary interests converging in in this space." And and you know, we reached out to each other and started talking and just found out that we have a tremendous amount of interests in common. And uh, so this conversation is just really, you know, on the one hand, I'm really excited that somebody like you is out there and that the podcast conversations that I've been having kind of called you out and and revealed you uh, to me and, and me to you so that now we can have a kind of amplified conversation of meaning, right? Where we share some context, we get to kind of go a little bit deeper and really have a, 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 an interesting and nuanced conversation about some of these intersections that we've been uh, discovering on this podcast. And so, Moritz, uh, can you perhaps start off by just giving a little bit of a, of a biography of yourself? Like, how is it that you came to be doing the work you're doing? And, and being interested in, in these kinds of subjects? Sure. Um, so I, after school, like many uh, young people, I feel like, uh, didn't really have a clue what to do with my life. Um, and so having been pretty good in school and having gotten good, good grades, the choice of a college was never really an issue for me, or rather uh, whether I was going to get into something. So the question really was for me, what do I do with this, all of this opportunity, this sort of open open plan or open, open plane that I have in front of me? And that choice sort of proved too much for me right after school. Um, and so I took the time that I had available to me and went for a voluntary civil service uh, thing in Germany. So since we don't really have a forced military anymore, and you don't have to do a civil service either. Um, they have this voluntary thing. And so I did that for eight months. I spent some time in a Catholic uh, college uh, student association 
not because that was particularly interesting for me, <laughs> but because uh, it offered me the opportunity to have uh, accommodation, uh, a little bit of income, and the opportunity to be around students who already were in college. And I thought my reasoning back then was, great, I get to ask them questions, sort of get a bit into the, the college lifestyle and figure, figure that out. Um, so I did that. Um, once that was done, I applied to a variety of uh, college programs. I got into all of the ones that I applied to. Um, it's also the one that I actually wanted to go to, which was philosophy and economics. Um, I had already during my childhood and sort of adolescence um, been intensely like a bookworm, a, a very avid reader. Um, I think between the between Christmas of uh, second grade and uh, Easter of second grade, I read through like the first four Harry Potter books in one go. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and I was sort of, I was very much, uh, yeah, very much interested in the world of ideas and, and knowledge. And, and so once I got into the philosophy and economics program, um, I felt for the first time that I was finally around people that had the same shared interest in sort of global issues or, or things that matter in general mm. um, and that were really interested in connecting the small with the big and asking the big questions. And of course, I had some of that around me uh, growing up. I had a particular good friend who was also always reading philosophy and I, who I could talk to sometimes. But in general, in the, in, in uh, school, it took quite some time um, for me to find people who were, were interested in that, and, and most of them just weren't. Um, mm. <laughs> and so, uh, but, but when I was at the university, um, it became very clear after the first semester um, that... Yes, it was great to be around these people, um, but I was not very happy there. And mm. I personally wasn't really aware why that was the case. Um, and so when I went back to my parents' place in Hamburg, um, and my studies were in Bavaria in the south, um, I had a conversation with my mother in which she helped me to realize that I was actually depressed, um, mm. that uh, I was not happy there. And sort of in retrospect, looking back from today's vantage point, I realized that uh, having read Nassim Taleb's Anti-Fragile and like during that time that I was studying there and uh, really connecting to the ideas and sort of values that he uh, proposes in there as in skin in the game, like you should be uh, the first to suffer from your own mistakes. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, not wanting to become a fragilista, somebody who sort of uh, gives great recommendations for society, uh, but then sort of doesn't really lose anything when things go wrong. Mm. Um, I really felt like, sort of in my mind, those two worlds, the world of ideas, abstraction, uh, passive information accumulation um, was colliding with the sort of these values that I found in that book. And, uh, and the, the real connection to the idea of uh, I want to learn from practice, from experience, from people, from doing things rather than reading about them exclusively. Mm -hmm. um, and so sort of the, the path that I was taking in this very academic uh, subject matter, um, and while I still love philosophy and economics, 
it was probably not the best path for me to take. At least that's the way I felt about it back then. And so I took sort of the the, the, the consequence from that conversation with her mother and decided to drop out of university directly after the first semester <laughs> and then struggled through basically three months of depression um, that continued from then on because after all, I had dropped out of, of an elite study program, right? And mm. of course, smart people don't do that kind of thing. At least that's mm. what people think. Mm. Um, and so with that in mind, then I sort of started to reorient myself. I started to look, okay, what is actually something that I can do where I can learn from experience, from practice, from engaging with the quote unquote real world. Um, and I found a dual study program, which is in Germany, this, this format of studying where you are both an employee at a company while at the same time study at a university. Mm. Um, and so in sort of a three month interval, you, you go to the company, you work there for three months uh, gain sort of practical experience and then you switch to the university and have like three months of study and then exams and then it, it returns to the practical part and so within three years you get a college degree you get three years of work experience um, the company pays you a tuition uh, pays you a salary they pay for your mm. tuition um, and they have they are contractually obliged at the end of those three years to offer you a, a job with a minimum salary that is agreed to beforehand and if they cannot you do not have to pay back the tuition and instead mm. are free to go and look for other opportunities mm. and so that kind of format to this day i recommend to people who sort of struggle with the idea of whether college is the right thing for them or how they should start into their professional lives um, because i feel it marries very nicely the the two worlds of uh, of ideas or of, of learning through study uh, with learning through experience. Mm -hmm. um, but sort of the, the, the ideas that I had picked up from Taleb had sort of sparked an interest in me that I carried forward in time. And all the time that I was studying at that private university and, and working at that company, um, I continued to explore the implications of those ideas and sort of the, the, the natural adjacent possible uh, mm -hmm. uh, areas of thought. Um, and that led me down uh, sort of my own research into anarchism, economics, uh, how society works, um, uh, the f philosophical foundations of, uh, um, of, of states, uh, any kind of sort of a, a macro uh, idea space that you can imagine. Uh, but not only that, also what I found explicitly interesting were uh, people who talked about the connections between the macro and the micro between, mm -hmm. for example, how does our relationship to the state uh, spring from our relationship to our parents? Um, how do we relate to authority or how does, uh, how does a, a, an economic system work where if the small uh, people, uh, if, if the, the individual person, business person fails, the economy as a whole grows or, or gains from that because their learning mm -hmm. is everybody else's gain. And sort of mm. thinking in in not one step, but thinking in two or three or four steps, um, sort of was was really what I learned from that self study. And in a way, I had the fortune or misfortune, however you want to characterize it, of uh, in that research finding out about Exosphere a learning and problem-solving community 
in Chile, um, whose writings I sort of devoured <laughs> while mm. studying there um, because they really hit home with me in terms of uh, doing things that are meaningful, uh, pursuing your own path, being self-reliant, uh, but also engaging with other people, not only sort of focusing exclusively on your own uh, your own journey or your own uh, well-being. Um, and then carrying carrying that information with me and, and also uh, having basically in those nine months that I was studying at that dual study program, uh, having listened to over 1,300 episodes of the Free Domain Radio podcast by Stefan mm. Molyneux, mm. um, <laughs> really sort of, me, sort of put me into a very strange mind space of feeling very alienated from the, the world around me and mm. really thirsting for something that gave me an opportunity to do meaningful things. Mm. And so when Exosphere... Uh, announced that they were going to come to Europe for the first time for a so-called ExoBase workshop tour. I elected to basically fly down to Italy, meet these people in person, participate in their workshop for two days. And uh, doing so um, was probably one of the better decisions of my life um, mm. and resulted in me there realizing that I was using information as a drug, that mm. I was sort of... Uh, using information as a way to numb out the pain of my lived existence around people who I couldn't relate to very well um, and and prevent me from uh, embodying the ideas that I was receiving from these sources. Mm. Um, and so I took sort of the, the really consequential decision and really hard decision as well, although it, it sort of, yeah, it was hard, but it, it definitely... Uh, and it, yeah, it was hard in the sense that I took the decision to leave the college again behind. So the second study program that I dropped out um, to leave family behind, to leave friends behind, to leave country behind and basically uh, pay back the, the money that the company had already paid for my tuition, which amounted to about 5,000 euros. Um, and basically buy my freedom and go to Chile for a two-month life and entrepreneurship boot camp of Exosphere, mm. um, which was one of the more powerful experiences that I had. And once that whole program concluded, um, I joined the joined the, the, the community and, and worked with them on other programs. I want to stop here for a second. Maybe you have some questions, but I'm happy to sort of continue yeah. the, the thread until today. Well, sure. I, maybe we could just uh, double click on Exosphere because I think it's such a fascinating yes. project. What is Exosphere and, and what did you find so exciting about it? And then furthermore, I'm, I'm curious how your experience at Exosphere helped you realize that you were kind of addicted to information because that's really fascinating. To me. <laughs> right. Um, so I'll start with that perhaps. Um, so in, in the workshop, um, the, the presenters talked uh, about a number of subjects, but some of them were, for example, uh, living an anti-fragile life or pursuing the barbell strategy uh, of Taleb, which is sort of this idea of uh, putting like a lot of stuff into conservative choices, like 80% or so, or 90, and then 10% into like super risky stuff. Um, mm -hmm. um, or the idea that um, 
we did this exercise of going through our major life stations up to that point and then uh, sort of drawing a, a line between them to see are they actually up and or down and, and actually do they conform to the, the image that we usually are propagandized into as being the, the natural progression of life, which is from birth like through to uh, kindergarten, school, university, job, uh, marriage, house, etc. Sort of this continuous, gradual upward path, um, and sort of realizing by by doing this with our own life that oh, our path is actually not a gradual upward slope, but it is mm. a, a sort of zigzag line that goes up and down. Like sometimes takes us down and stays down, and maybe we get up from there again or not. Um, and sort of breaking those kind of uh, preconceptions or or sort of the the water in the in the usual adage of the fish in the water doesn't know that it's in the water right <laughs> um, and so those kind of things there were a number of those kind of things and in doing so um, and, and listening to them talk about how they themselves um, were pursuing sort of their ideas of what education should look like that it should be a lifelong vocation rather than a sort of one-time thing that you do to get a, a degree to then signal to an employer that you're employable. Um, mm. Sort of seeing them talk about this so passionately and actually, uh, uh, yeah, um, putting their own economic and financial security at risk to pursue these ideas in their own life uh, really inspired me and sort of uh, showed me how how little there was a match between the principles I pretended to espouse and the, the actual decisions I had made in my life um, uh, up to that point. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then, and then what, what, what is Exosphere for people who haven't heard of the organization? Right. So Exosphere describes itself as a learning and problem solving community. Um, it's sort of a pretty unsexy title or tagline. Um, but it's sort of the one that's stuck around and that's, that's been the most accurate, I would say. Um, so it was founded in 2012 uh, by Skinner Lane, an American entrepreneur who had uh, gone to Chile during, like, just before the financial crisis hit in 2008 um, because he had seen it coming and uh, had elected to sort of leave, leave the <laughs> ground zero before it, before it hit. Mm. Um, and, and go to Chile, which is a very politically and economically stable country in South America. In fact, the, the one that's the most stable in those two respects, um, and sort of, uh, hide out there in a sense from what he expected would become a global economic meltdown, um, mm. that, that would result in the, in the complete stop of trade and, and sort of, uh, and financial, uh, uh, stability and all those kind of things. And so, uh, when that didn't come to pass in the way that he had uh, foreseen it, which, by the way, we've not actually solved, but we've just papered over right. um, and kicked the can down the road, um, he sort of grew progressively more and more depressed at the state of the world and sort of how nobody else was recognizing this as a problem that's really necessary to fix um, sort of in this libertarian mindset. Um, and he got close to the point where uh, he actually was pretty much despairing over 
over the state of the world and ended up in, like on the mountainside uh, somewhere in Chile in, in the Andes uh, or close to Santiago um, and, and close to suicide. And so uh, when he started picking up again the habit of writing a journal and uh, he started reading again Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, and Scott Peck and, and other uh, horribly dead white males, um, <laughs> <laughs> he he sort of realized like there is nothing else to do than sort of take these problems and instead of complaining about them in the world, um, do like, taking them as your own responsibility and embarking on a, on a venture and a path to hopefully working on them and, and sort of mitigating or, or perhaps even solving in the long term them, or at mm. least being part of that solution. And so Exosphere was sort of born from that personal decision to live and mm. to, to, to choose to do something about, uh, about the problems that he saw in the world. And mm. so in 2012, he published his 27 theses of education reform on the Exosphere website um, and started uh, attracting people who felt called by those, by that sort of uh, uh, set of ideas um, to contribute to this, to this venture. And then the first real operational uh, success uh, was one of those entrepreneurship boot camps. Um, mm. And so that's sort of how Exosphere was born. Uh, since then um, we've done over, I think 10 boot camps now, or we've called them academies uh, right by now. Um, we've done, uh, I think over 40 exobase workshops all over the world and have mm -hmm. serviced, um, I think over, over 1500 people, uh, from all kinds of academic backgrounds, race, ethnicity, religion, uh, uh, profession, whatever you can imagine. Um, mm -hmm. and really have tried to bring together people from all those backgrounds in a setting where they can for at least uh six weeks which is currently or was the last uh was the length of the last program we did um and the first one we did was 12 weeks for the for the time of that kind of program step away from their daily duties back home and to take the space for themselves to think about think deeply and reflect deeply about what matters to them um how they want to approach the world um who they want to engage in relationships with what problems they might want to solve both in their own sphere of influence and perhaps in the world and to then go and do that and so that's been really the the sort of thing that exosphere has been has been working on we've also done uh, scientific uh, sort of exploration with with people we've done ai conferences and blockchain programming and biohacking mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. sort of all of those leading edge uh, uh, endeavors that are out there but always in the service of sort of a greater idea of, um, yeah, helping people do do good things in their own life and, and for the world. And so that's been Exosphere for the past six years. And now we're at a point where we've suspended our educational activities for the moment and are actually <laughs> embarking on uh, building a Holochain-based app for information mm. market and to allow people or to enable people with that to basically build a sustainable existence in the creative or information economy, which we've been talking about for a long time, 
but now actually want to provide solutions for doing. Mm, great. And so it sounds like this was a really immersive and innovative learning environment and experience that taught you a lot um, about how to learn, what to learn, and why to learn. And at some point in that process, if I remember correctly from our last conversation, you were exposed to the idea of Holochain. And, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is, is what you saw in Holochain, because it sounded to me like as soon as you saw it and kind of understood what they were attempting to do, you were captivated. Um, right. And how... I guess I'll put it this way. How, how, what did you see in Holochain at that time um, that led you to be so fascinated and interested in the project? Mm. So the first time I found out about what is actually the mother project behind Holochain, because Holochain is just a name that sort of was given to a subpart of those larger projects uh, just last year. Um, so the time that I found out about this was uh, four years ago, around about. So um, I've been sort of aware of it for that time. And back then, uh, I was just getting started at Exosphere and, and sort of engaging with all these new and exciting ideas and sort of putting my own life into order and, and pursuing my path. And the thing that brought my attention or actually kept my attention on on the people behind Holochain and their ideas and their 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 philosophy was really how deeply, deeply, deeply they had thought about some of the most fundamental issues uh, out there um, and, and had really uh, chosen to deep dive into the very foundations of, for example, how do we make meaning? How is meaning generated? Um, they have this little uh, idea that's called semantic alternation, which is the idea that uh, meaning is generated by alternating between a symbol and a structure. And so if you think about how, uh, how for example, um, uh, if you take the idea of a street address, right, in, in, the, like in a digital uh, context, that street address is, comp is a, a, that name street address is a, is a string of characters taken as a symbol, which stands for uh, a structure of subcomponents, which are the name of a street plus a number. Mm. Um, or it could be, uh, it could be a, a latitude and a longitude. So, so, so there's a symbol there that, that conceals a structure behind it. And then if you go what, and, and look at what the subcomponents of that are, then they themselves are again symbols. And mm. then you can go down and down and down and down. And so, by sort of alternating between looking at a symbol that is supposed to mean something but is composed of something else and sort of co sort of continuously going down that path alternating between the structure and the symbol we we learn how something in a particular context uh, is composed of, of subparts and then within that context it means something but this is really a, a, a key insight that meaning is always, always, always contextual. There is no such thing as ultimate meaning or or mm. something that sort of exists on itself as an abstract thing that is completely divorced from context. Actually, earlier today, I was on a different podcast, um, the School Sex podcast. <laughs> um, and we talked about a very similar idea there um, of, of the sort of Platonism, this 
this enlightenment idea of uh, ideas having independent existence uh, from sort of uh, context. Mm. Um, and it, it really is this, this sort of uh, idea carried forward from the enlightenment that uh, came to, to the world through the widespread use of literacy and through the printing press um, and ended up, uh, yeah, in some ways expanding our ability to apply a measure and number to the world, but also narrowing our view to what is real and what is valid, a valid perspective. Mm-hmm. And I promise this makes, this is actually valuable to discuss in the context of what you asked me and also in the context of Holochain, um, because the, the Holochain project is a project that um, takes this idea of context and of multiplicity of perspectives and subjectivity and uh, sort of bridging between different perspectives and embeds that into code and, and makes it so that people can engage on a, on a sort of playing field of shared rules, mm. but maintain their own perspective on their own reality. Um, and, and that way re- sort of weave a rich tapestry of, of, of multiplicity of perspectives that end up being more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Um, and so the, the people behind this project have really taken great care to investigate the very philosophical foundations of technology technology as something that's a good on its own. And so they approach all of this conversation less from a technophilic perspective, if you will, but more from a sort of technosophic uh, or, or wisdom perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I felt attracted to because the sort of fetishization of technology that we see a lot in Silicon Valley, in libertarian circles, in transhumanist circles, um, I feel often forgets the very real downsides of technology and that no technology on its own is a good or a bad thing, but makes space for new possibilities into those two directions. Beautiful. Yeah. And it, one thing that's really fascinating to me about the Holochain project, and it's has to do with, I think what you're saying is the way in which whatever technology we use comes out of a certain ontology, whether we acknowledge it or not when we're building the technology. And then it kind of like, uh, uh, replicates that into the minds of the people that use it without making philosophical arguments just by virtue of the structure. And so, you know, uh, we might then therefore, you know, you've articulated a little bit about what the, the kind of philosophy and ontology and epistemology that underlies Holochain. Um, and then we might compare that to the ontology and philosophy and epistemology that was used to design, you know, the technology that we typically use. Uh, and I think even framing it as kind of platonic is actually really fascinating and, and, and exactly right. Like it, it, it kind of presupposes that there can be meaning outside of context, that there's like individuals that, that exist outside of the web of relationships, both of ideas and people mm-hmm. and other objects. And so it's really fascinating and really kind of like a, uh, kind of can break your brain even to try to <laughs> comprehend, I think, the significance of the departure from the way that we currently organize information and all that stuff that Holochain represents because of the fact that we ourselves, for the most part, unless you've done a lot of like, I think, training are so embedded in these structures. We've been so imprinted by the technologies that we use that we 
almost can't even conceive of a different way of doing things. Right. Right. Very true. Yes. And I actually, I, I built a presentation earlier this year when I had some two weeks time basically by myself um, in, in Krakow, sort of spending time in Airbnb and not having much to do, um, <laughs> thinking about all of these subjects very intensely uh, mm-hmm. engaging with some academic works around that. And, and the presentation that I came up with sort of was all about to putting sort of this this strange beast of distributed computing we call Holochain into the context of the larger uh, development of computing and the internet. And mm-hmm. if you take a look at the origins of the internet and, and what it was designed to do, where it came from and what it ended up being, uh, you, you can start to sort of make sense of it a bit more. And, and the way that I usually frame this is that the internet itself, as most people I hope know, uh, comes out of, mili- of the military um, mm. as a way to uh, make sure that uh, there are no critical infrastructure points that can be hit that would then take down communications networks for the entirety uh, of, of the armed forces. Um, but in the context of CERN, this idea was then uh, taken further and sort of was applied to academic research in general um, as a way to share information and findings and data and, and sort of papers uh, through a personal server that each academic should have and to then make it accessible to others and for them to sort of engage in this republic of letters in a distributed fashion. Um, and if you actually look at the original proposal, that was really what Tim Berners-Lee, who, who proposed this, actually had envisioned, that sort of everybody has their own space, and then they engage in sort of an open space uh, with other personal spaces uh, mm. through communications. Now, because of the difficulty, though, of running a server and actually knowing how to, how to administrate that, how to set it up, uh, the costs also involved in that, um, that kind of vision didn't come to pass. And as a result of, of that being so hard, we are now in a world where Facebook, Google, Netflix, Amazon, all of these data giants form the backbone of the public web, if you will. And most of the data that we even, uh, even generate on other sites, be it news sites, be it uh, game sites, be it whatever, they end up in their sort of enclosed fortresses of, of data in their databases. Yes. Um, and so the, this is sort of the direct consequence of the difficulty of, of doing all of this yourself. And, and it has led to uh, this very uncomfortable and, and indeed pretty much fascistic uh, uh, dynamic where uh, we give up our hard freedom for a, an easy, comfortable uh, yeah, consumerism, if you will, where we are the product and we are sort of fine with that. Mm. Um, (laughs) And, and the, but so the, having these servers live in the cloud, which by the way, just means somebody else's computer um, is sort of giving up your personal sovereignty, but of course it was for a good reason. And so now blockchain then came along or rather actually Bitcoin came along. And, And it's funny to me how, all of the things that we're talking about here, both Skinner's decision to move to Chile and leave the U.S. behind, as well as uh, Bitcoin's emergence during, during or after the financial crisis, as well as your involvement with Occupy Wall Street, they all sort of coalesce around this 2008 point, right? Mm-hmm. The sort of 
time where where a lot of things were going on, a lot of sort of crucial decisions, both on a personal and 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 uh, big level, were being made. Um, and and one of them was Bitcoin, and Bitcoin was uh, created as a way to basically defang the global financial system. Mm-hmm. Um, it was conceived as sort of a, a beast without a face, a a, a, a technological uh, structure that allows people who don't know each other, who don't even trust each other necessarily, um, to transact uh, financial value through the internet without having to go through the established structures of banking, which the sort of the elite in quote unquote uh, control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Bitcoin, but what Bitcoin pioneered and what Bitcoin uh, uh, really uh, for the first time made possible was the possibility of having data live on many different computers at the same time without any single one of them being able to arbitrarily change that data after the fact. And, and so maintain and guarantee the integrity of data spread across a network of nodes. And that was really revolutionary because that didn't require a central organizing entity that by virtue of having superior administration access to this data was then also able to misuse that superior access to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they sort of got around the problem of power. But this, this then presented sort of another problem because it doesn't have any explicit governance mechanism. Um, it's sort of it's this, this weird thing that just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and sort of adds and adds and adds data, um, which itself is not very sustainable. And so now we've had this explosion of, uh, of interest in blockchains. Uh, people are experimenting intensely with sort of the underlying architecture, with applying it to a variety of industries and fields and, and use cases. Um, but sort of Holochain, again, so the, the 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 philosophy behind it went a bit down a bit different path mm-hmm. where bitcoin was conceived as a as a way to fight the financial system um holochain was conceived as a way to provide a scalable means technological means for people to organize themselves mm. so instead of cryptocurrency this was conceived as crypto coordination, if you will. Mm. Um, and so it has a, a very different set of uh, ideas behind it. And the structure itself is also very different. Um, and so perhaps I'll leave it at that. But there, there's a bunch more things to say. And um, I really want to emphasize how much, uh, how much it sort of uh, returns our, uh, our technological infrastructure to the original vision of the web, but in a way that was not foreseeable back then. Mm, Cool. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's so many different directions we could go right now. I think I'd like to, (laughs) I'd like to sort of bring in meta modernism now and just Mm -hmm. sort of ask you about what you see in meta modernism and, and why it's interesting to you and what, you know, so you know, you talked about how we need to take responsibility for our problems, and so part of that 
you know, for, for thinking people is, is what do we do about politics, which is, seems like such a fundamentally mm-hmm. broken system. And, um, I'm, I'm curious just to get your sense of like what metamodernism is and why you think it's significant. Right. Right. Yeah. I would perhaps set it into the context of, uh, one of the component words, which is modernism. Um, and so sort of draw a bit of a historical arc here. So we have modernism, which is the idea or the the actual uh, playing out of the idea of being able to apply number and measure to the world systematically, which I sort of hinted at earlier with the Enlightenment, the sort of Cartesian uh, dream uh, that that he had um, that gave rise to this mathematics and this 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 sort of conquering of of the the world through reason, um, which as its children birthed the the sort of twin sisters or brothers of communism and fascism um, that in the 20th century really reigned terror uh, on on the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, we have we have the sort of uh, because the idea was to to sort of escape history, to break away from tradition, from existing modes of organizing society, and sort of start anew with a fresh fresh page, um, to sort of leave context behind and let reason reign. And I don't know whether you know mm-hmm. this, but uh, during the French Revolution, which itself sort of uh, uh, got a lot of its justification for the methods uh, it, it used and for the revolution it, it did from the Enlightenment, um, once they had this had killed the king and, and, and gotten their, their power, they instituted a number of measures, rationalistic measures, of, for example, uh, changing the months in the year from 12 to 10. And weeks were now 10 days with uh, two days of weekend. Mm. Um, and w- a number of those. And just because of the calendar change, within one year, all of the livestock in the whole of France was dead, basically. Mm. Um because these these sort of quote unquote irrational or traditional systems that to the mind that that sort of applies number and measure to the world seem so uh, idiosyncratic, so stupid, so old, so yesterday, they have deep, deep evolutionary roots and reasons behind them, even though they are arbitrary to some degree. And when you change them, completely sort of with a clean slate you disrupt all of the existing cycles and interdependencies in a complex system and end up with catastrophic consequences and and so fascism and communism uh very much took the same approach um fascism just sort of imagines this perfect past of traditionalism and we need to return to it but actually erases the past completely by sort of building a an idealized version of the past. And then communism uh, sort of holds high this idea of uh, the peasant class as, as being always the oppressed one and, um, and it wants to do away with authority uh, and sort of with, uh, with capitalists and sort of anybody who holds superior power over others. Um, and in the wake of that kills... I think in the in the 20th century alone, 100 million people through starvation, internal uh, d- or domestic dep- depre- oppression, and then external wars. And so 
these two sort of applications of rationality to the world in a naive fashion resulted in the deaths of millions and millions of people. Mm. And so looking at that after the Second World War, seeing the absolute and sheer horror of the human cost of those two ideologies competing for dominance, um, the postmodernists sort of said, fuck that, like, mm -hmm. we can't have that happen again. And so they sort of went haywire. They went like, damn it, we need to, we need to prevent that sort of uh, absolutely horrible, uh, uh, horrible cost. And so they started embarking on this project of undermining every single system, every single categorization, every single sort of uh, historical claim to, to righteousness, anything that enables anybody to claim any authority over anything. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, yes, you start to make it very difficult for people to make claims to authority. But when you take that to its logical extreme, then suddenly no choice is superior to another. No one thing can actually have an, a clear yes, but always has sort of this ambiguity. And so the sort of the caricature or, or extreme uh, uh, version of the postmodernism that we see today took this undermining of any value, valuation structure to so far that now uh, it's just undermining even sensible uses of of any kind of structure, and so it's it's no longer something that adds value, but it is something that just takes away. Mm -hmm. And so I feel as though the meta modern project sort of birthed out of a culture uh, of all pervasive postmodernism um, sees that so it has become self aware. So of postmodernists that have become self aware of what is happening, what they're doing, and what uh, is, is, is a problem in that. Um, and who have elected to do the very difficult dance of oscillating between extreme enthusiasm and extreme skepticism, between, mm -hmm. uh, between extreme meaningfulness and extreme uh, uh, nihilism or, or relativism. And so it's a sort of uh, uh, meta thing. That's why it's called metamodernism. That it isn't just the one or the other, but it's yes and. It is both. It mm. is all of it. Um, and so that's sort of how I see metamodernism in 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 the, the historical context. And now now it's starting. Only only we're seeing sort of very the very uh, inklings of that kind of understanding now starting to uh, penetrate areas other than academic or, or artistic expression. Um, and so the political applications are yet to to be seen what what happens there. But my intuition tells me that it's going to be a lot about process, a lot about redefining the categories of what people hold as the basic building blocks of, of a social order. Um, and I think technology and sort of wisdom will play a, a very big role in that. Nice. Yeah. And so before we had this conversation, you sent to me an article where somebody was writing about uh, a metamodern party in the UK, the alternative party, and some of their experiments with systems change and emergent social technology uh, kind of juxtaposed with the possibilities offered by Holochain. And so you know, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about around what are the symmetries and 
possible synergies between what Holochain is offering and the kind of political strategies that metamodernism is vectoring towards. And I'm curious if right. what your thoughts are on that, like what, what have you seen? What are you hoping for? What are you, what, what are you feeling in that kind of intersection? Right. So um, for that, I, I sort of take a look at my own life and, and what I've been experiencing there. And I think there are some parallels to what I feel it will look like, uh, the sort of intersection between holochain and, and political applications of metamorphism. And that is that I have been for the past four years since joining Exosphere and sort of engaging in that work of experimenting with alternative educational programs, I've been uh, exposed to a, a large variety of people across a, a number of domains or, or, or spectra and have built personal trust-based relationships with with all of or with a lot of them. And so today I have friends all over the globe uh, from all kinds of backgrounds and also from all sides of the political spectrum. Hmm. And so when I when I sort of see something in the news or I, uh, I see something happening in one community over here that might enrage somebody of that community over there, I am able to put real faces of people that I care and love um, to sort of that fascist over there or that, mm. that, anar- that Antifa person. Um, so these labels that we use to, to fight an opposition or to, to identify another and so I've sort of just by necessity of wanting to maintain those relationships and also seeing the potential in doing that have taken to basically ferrying information back and forth between these different communities, these different uh, events, if you will, mm. and, and trying to build, build up the understanding of the other side of whatever that may be in the people that I have those trust-based relationships with mm. because they trust me uh, about the information that I relate to them, and so that sort of that sort of practice, um, yeah, has allowed me to not only escape what I think a lot of people succumb to, which is the sort of filter bubble mm-hmm. um, that that tends to lock us into a particular political worldview that then gets exacerbated and and sort of tries to radicalize us because. Uh, uh, we, we sort of only get fed information that confirms our, our pre-existing biases. Um, but I've also been able to start to have conversations that go beyond the simplistic, that uh, try to that attempt a new th- synthesis, if you will. Um, and, and in doing so, I've also been exposed to and, and actively sought out a number of sort of systems of thought, of practices, of ideologies, of methodologies, of ideas, of, of ways of being. And so I don't really identify necessarily with any single one of them, or rather I identify with all of them to some degree as some part of myself. Mm. Um, but I am now able to employ whatever tool is necessary uh, to do the job um, and to to bridge between the perspectives that I have around me. Mm. And that's actually the way that I think Holochain also, the, the ecosystem will work and will, will emerge, um, which is that Holochain has this sort of built-in agent centricity, which means that the, the people in the system are the very first ontological category, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then everything that is built to, to be sort of an infrastructure 
orients itself around the people. And mm. so then you have apps that we currently think of as Facebook, as Uber, as YouTube, whatever it may be. They become, instead of being these places that we go to, enter, engage in, and leave, mm. they become languages, languages that we speak with others. Mm. So an example might be a message that I send through some application like Facebook isn't anymore something that I sort of show up on Facebook's doorstep, hand them over, and they, while opening the letter and closing it again, hand it over to my friend at the other side of the, of the hall. Um, but instead, I actually give it to him directly, in a sense. Our devices communicate directly. Mm -hmm. And... And that sort of uh, shifts the dialectic completely from uh, us having to live by the terms of the service providers to them having to show up on our doorstep and ask us for permission to use the data that we have available for whatever means they might want to might, might want to employ mm. or ends they might want to pursue. And so I have a real hope here that we will see uh, a technological shift that uh yeah really gives people the power to um take back their their privacy for one their sort of property rights also over how they show up in informational space and then to engage in a new set of relationships uh between them where everybody is held accountable to a shared set of rules within a specific context of doing certain things um and then can bridge between the different contexts that they show up in, just like I do in the real world. When mm -hmm. I, I go to the supermarket, and in the supermarket, certain rules are, are upheld by the security guards that when I act up and sort of scream around or destroy property, they have the right to kick me out. Um, or when I go onto a street, uh, I am free to walk there, and there's really nothing anybody can do to stop me unless... Um, I, I also do something that doesn't agree with the rules that are uh, held in common for that space. And so that's really what we'll see, I think, with the Holochain ecosystem, where people show up as a whole being in different spaces and then are held accountable to the rules of those spaces. And mm. that gives us the opportunity to really play around with new rules for spaces. Mm. Yeah, and, and one one thing that occurred to me just as you were speaking is, you know, so metamodernism maybe is this kind of reconstructive movement after postmodernity, and that, you know, fascism was effective at creating structure, right? It was very good right. at imposing structure from the top down, and this next reconstructive move or constructive move that humanity has to do, really, it feels like the only way it's going to work is if it's ground up um, or bottom up, and strikes me that Holochain might provide the kind of technological infrastructure to make that emergent growth process actually scalable and sort of definable and experimentable and, and viral and just sort of gives it some interoperable yeah and interoperable like it gives it some some density and some some uh actual yes. uh yeah i don't know quite what the word i'm looking for is but some some real mass some yeah. real gravity i would say yeah yeah that's so interesting and so maybe we can or i guess are there any other symmetries that are striking to you at this moment that might be interesting to bring up 
Um, it's a good question. I, I would say sort of draw another parallel between metamodernism and Holochain is that um, it sort of escapes the existing dialogue, right? Like it, it, it can neither be fitted into the left and the right paradigm, uh, nor into the sort of uh, authority versus anarchy or, or any of those things, because it's, it's, it's a more fundamental shift to a new expressive capacity. That's sort of one way that the mm -hmm. people at, at Holochain talk about it, um, which just enables a new new set of, of, of distinctions being made, of, of, of agreements being entered into, and, and sort of uh, a whole uh, Cambrian explosion of social DNA. And I think that's sort of also mm -hmm. what the metamodernists are, are engaging in, sort of really intensely and self-awarely experimenting with how to organize and to always stay open to the idea that the way that you're doing it currently might not be the way that it should be uh, either for now or, or even forever. Mm. Um, and so, so it, it, it's sort of the shift from a, a specific form of functioning to a general openness to change and, uh, an intense awareness of the shortcomings of any current formation and, and see there sort of the, like we talk about information a lot, but, uh, sort of information, <laughs> Uh, always ends up being mirrored in the real world by formations. And so if your informational structure is not sound, you're going to have real problems in formational structures. And so, mm. for example, um, the Holochain people talk a lot about currencies, but not in the way that we usually think of currencies. They have this adage about current seas as in symbol systems that allow us to enable, shape, and measure flows of information value and resources within a community um and sort of they they make visible things and that's sort of really what what we need uh on a global level of making visible where we fall short of yes. what we need to do to to attempt to solve the problems that we see in the world um and and to do so, we, we need to yeah, be aware of them. But then once we have that awareness, to also affect change. And so Holochain sort of uh, really embodies that understanding and, and offers the tool set to make visible what is so far un invisible mm. to, to people mm -hmm. and to enable them to act on that new visibility and to anticipate each other's movements instead of sort of having to build large mass movements that have to try and affect political change at the very top level and yes. get corrupted on the way up there and, and all those things. Yeah, that's so that's so cool. And, and it reminds me of the conversation that I had with uh, Hansi Freinacht about one of the ways to understand the kind of goal of metamodern politics is to make our cultures self-aware. Right, so that we start to kind of be able to endlessly iterate at creating better and better social conditions, and you know, more and more sophisticated ways of uh, alleviating suffering. You know, and so there's a real way in which right. we can take these, or I feel like there might be a way in which we can take these seemingly abstract ideas of metamodernism, like the cultural singularity, and weave them into technological infrastructure that can actually coordinate human behavior in ways that over time, we can just learn how to do these things better. It actually like gets us in the arena in a, in a whole new way. Yes, 
Yes, and and it, this is only possible, I think, because it's a return to contextual intelligence yes. and sort of uh, looking at how something fits into what is around it, rather than sort of being this disembodied, abstract, idealized thing that exists on its own. And so, in 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 doing that, you you gain the ability to to fit yourself to whatever is there, but also to actually stand fast and sort of affect change to the things that are around you. Um, and, and the way that the holochain people have, have been able to actually sort of uh, pour it into technological mm. uh, iron is by looking at living systems as like at, at biological systems and how biology, how life, how nature scales systems. And so in our body, we don't have a CEO cell. Uh, we don't have one, one central seed that makes decisions, but we have a, a multiplicity of, of uh, agents, if you will, cells that stack on top of each other into larger and larger sort of subdivisions, for example, organs. Um, and each of these sub agents pays attention to their own state. Like how, what, how am I right now? Like where am I lacking? What am I needing? And, and what uh, am I drawn to do? And also to its surroundings. What is the, the flow of blood around me telling me about the oxygen level or, or the level of toxicity or, or any of those kind of things. And then to ch uh, change its actions and its direction uh, according to that information coming from within itself and from around itself, and and then to coordinate with others to, uh, yeah, react to threats, to uh, build new structures that uh, replace uh, failing uh, ones, and and basically have this very natural growth and and death cycle um, occur on on all kinds of scales. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and have you have you actually have you read the Seeing Nature book, the book that a lot of these uh, ideas are based off of in my understanding i have not i've seen a video that sort of uh makes them popularly oh. accessible but oh, i've okay. not read the book oh cool i'd like to check out that video i, I highly recommend this book you know uh, Farinanda recommended it in our conversation and i've been kind of slowly yes. making my way through it and one it's it's beautiful because it it changed almost immediately the way i experience nature right and right. which you know that's worth the price of admission <laughs> uh, 100%. But then I'm starting to see what it is that Holochain is pointing to around flows and measurement and sort of taking account of all of the different value streams that exist in a given context. And I see how learning these way, these different ways of seeing, fundamentally different ways of seeing mm -hmm. the world and yourself in relationship to it and communities actually is going to be like a primary skill in the near future, if Holochain actually like takes off, because you'll be able to walk into different yes. contexts and see where flows are constricted, see where things that are valuable but aren't being yes. managed well, and kind of impose this layer of software that then allows value to circulate in that system. And you as the agent, right. I imagine, will like benefit from that too. And so I just, it's such a beautiful idea of, and maybe this is the kind of idea of an expressive capacity, but to that we as mm -hmm. human beings could kind of use this magic, really, this kind of technological power to, to make the conditions of any given system more beautiful, essentially. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I actually, I plan my own career with that in mind. Like I, I'm, I'm firmly uh, 
committed to this being uh, on that level of importance and affecting that uh, magnitude of change. And and so what you pointed to was sort of agents seeing the, the, the flows failing to serve the members uh, of a community. That's really sort of what I am interested in pursuing. And that's also the part of the description of my current job with Holochain to actually learn how to design currencies for these systems uh, with Arthur Brock, one of the founders. Hmm. And so uh, I actually think that a, a, a profession of the future, if you will, that a lot of people who sort of have gotten a head start in uh, constructing their own informational sort of processing, uh, not necessarily inside academics, but actually most likely also outside, um, that they will engage in this uh, sort of combination of rational and and, and uh, intuitionistic uh, ways of detecting how things are working right now or, or are failing to work then to conceptualize a way that they could work better and to uh, connect up unmet needs with unused resources, and then to implement and, and sort of maintain a, a system or, or an intervention that, uh, that more, more easily uh, facilitates that flow. And so the sort of the profession that, you could call currency designer, I think will become a very relevant and, and, and pretty pretty far-reaching position of influence that sort of takes the the current uh, uh, seat of power in at the center of information networks and uh, and expands it into an, an active component and, and sort of a, a dancing component, not only sort of a, an analyzing component. Hmm. Yeah, and it's it just seems like such an amazing conglomeration of skill sets that I, I can imagine would be relevant in that sort of profession, right? Like talking to yes. people, being deeply sensitive, understanding how systems function, uh, being able to because Holochain, if I'm if I remember correctly, is kind of a modular language, right? So there's all of these sort of subcomponents that can then be sort of put together in different ways, depending on the context. So being skillful with that sort of technology layer, but put weaving all of these things together in order to, I mean, you know, to put it poetically, like alleviate suffering in a system. And it's really, yes. really fucking cool. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that vision <laughs> of, of like that being a, a profession, right. That we could train, like, even if I'm imagining like, what would it be like to train somebody to do that? That's such a beautiful question. Right, like to design a right, curriculum that would right. facilitate somebody doing that really well. Like, think of what they'd have to learn. Think of the kinds of experiences that would be useful. Right. It's just, yeah, what a what a beautiful and that's, idea. That's actually that's actually what I'm thinking about a lot these days as well. Uh, sort of already thinking of the second or third step once I've learned this to actually make this something that we can replicate and and teach people. And and actually, I'm hoping and sort of working on facilitating a relationship between Exosphere and Holochain. And that, that will sort of hopefully start with a, a series of hackathons at some point soon, and then uh, end up becoming much more than that, where we actually have people in residence at programs that uh, are engaged in sort of uh, taking up projects of alleviating these pressure points and, and constructing new flows. And, and not only pressure points and sort of social systems but actually 
we are those pressure points. We as individuals yes. are those pressure points. Like if, if our emotional maturity is not at a point where we're able to, um, to act in a way that we can anticipate the movements of others and collaborate with them and sort of uh, come back to our own space when we experience things that are upsetting, then, then we are sort of the, the pressure point and we are literally then depressed when there is nothing that calls us mm. around us to to do meaningful things, um, we become we become the ones that that start to become a problem to ourselves. And and so an actual pressure point in that I want to sort of reemphasize is the the individual person and and their their ability to meaningfully engage with the world. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and so. On one dimension, there's the kind of like the, the the programming and just creation of these various modules that needs to be done. And are you are you yourself a programmer? I'm not. No. Okay. And so you're. I I imagine you're foreseeing a future in which non-programmers can actually uh, do this do this kind of work. And so it seems like a lot of what is needed is actually just different ways of seeing um, and different ways of accessing information. I, I'm curious. Like what you're thinking right now, like if I wanted to become the kind of person that could relieve pressure points and uh, manage flows or however you frame it, what what would you recommend doing now? Mm. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I'd say it's definitely... Like you need to have a, a certain fluidity of, of thought, I would say. And, and that's not something that you can just simply train yourself to have. It's not something you can sort of uh, enroll in a class and then, and then have at the end of it. Hmm. So in, in, in pursuing that um, and having sort of a, a, a fluidity of, of thinking in a variety of systems that allows you to see all these different flows and then act to, to change them, um, you need to find sort of very specific and very clearly structured systems. For example, I've engaged with a bunch of philosophy, with a bunch of science, with a bunch of artistic uh, disciplines, with I've learned how to dance and uh, all of these things, even though they don't mm. seem very relevant at any particular point, they sort of come together to uh, either affect within me personal changes that open me up to new new experiences and new people and new new things and new ways of seeing um, or they they sort of give me a a lexicon or or a tool set that gives me uh, uh, new ways that I can I can engage with the world and so that's that's really it's it's more of a generalist really like sort of the, the strong generalist approach to to the world than it is a a, a very uh, competent specialist approach mm -hmm. um, and for example like the, the me having learned how to dance. Uh, has been so powerful for me because I had the personal realization that I shouldn't pay attention to the beat on a sort of cognitive level, but I need to feel that. And, and I can only actually progress and become a competent dancer once I stop trying to grasp it rationally and more feel it. Um, and, and sort of a give, to give a, an example on the other side of that, sort of more rational side, I've engaged with a number of philosophical systems. Uh, one of them, for example, is propertarianism, which is sort of a, a, a an extension of libertarian thought into uh, into like scientific understanding of of truth um, and those kind of things, which 
has enabled me to see much more clearly how, for example, um, there are actual biological determinants of how we as people differ in how we uh, approach the world and how we mm. um, are concerned about certain things. For example, I'm a, a young ascendant male, if you will. And so I naturally care about uh, gaining the proceeds of my productivity, which predisposes me to a libertarian-ish worldview. Mm-hmm. Now, I realize that about myself. And so I'm able to sort of step outside that a bit um, and, and to see that other people are not in that particular space. And so they will probably care about other things. Um, and so I can, I can see how I exist within a context and I have certain sort of biases and certain ways of doing things that other people do not have. And that then being aware of that, I can bridge. Mm. And so sort of those kind of things have to come together in you to have both the rational approach to the world that allows you to categorize things, erect structures, uh, implement structures, maintain them, but then also to terminate them when they're not anymore serving the underlying needs of the people. But then also to have sort of the the dance ability, if you will, of um, performatively engaging with the world and and doing the the social interaction that needs to happen for people to gain trust Mm -hmm. in you and to actually open themselves up to your propositions. Um, And then, for example, to listen very well to them. And then all of those things are like, I, I actually... Like any kind of experience uh, that that gets you closer to that, or or that uh, allows you to experiment with that, is is a good one. But it takes that fundamental uh, willingness and openness to see learning as a lifelong vocation, mm. rather than as something that you can conclude. Mm. And so that's I think really the, the fundamental shift that needs to happen in somebody who wants to do this, and then uh, they can sort of take whatever rhizomatic path they can uh, mm-hmm. they can figure out to go through this beautiful yeah and it, i mean just as you were speaking and, and talking about like the need to have a liquid kind of mind you know bring it what 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 comes up for me is is you know meditation and contemplative practice and mm-hmm. uh, you know one of my teachers actually frames it like you know don't don't <laughs> there are particular t- types of meditation that you don't do until you know you have a mind of liquid Right when everything is flowing, right. when everything is moving, when nothing is, right. is is stable, and you know even the idea that Holochain is based upon this relational kind of ontology where everything is process, like we can actually realize that in our own subjectivity. And you know, one of another teacher I'm aware of, Shinzen Young, has a practice called you know see flow, feel flow, hear flow, seeing right. how it is already the case that our sense data is always and already in a state of flow. And so taking that, you know, is as another dimension, right, that we can actually start to see flow inside. And I know that for me, at least, I think that's made me much more sensitive to how other things in other systems flow, like in in social relationships and, uh, you know, in in other various systems like communities and and things like that. And so it's, it's so beautiful, so radical to me that because there was this incredibly deep thought put into a project like Holochain that has all of these kind of like incredible emergent properties that point in a basically and fundamentally different direction than our civilization has been trending. Uh, it's so right. 
incredible the way that it, it, it has that kind of deep integrity and that the kind of people right. which it almost by its very nature incentivizes to come into being seem to be exactly the kind of people we need more of on this planet now. Right. And I sort of want to point to two things here. One is that there's another sort of, I think, matching of pattern that we just described with what you just described with uh, sort of Holochain that also mirrors sort of our cognitive processes, um, which is that psychedelics and, and meditation and sort of all of these practices that return you for, to yourself and that allow you to engage with your own process on a more aware level, um, they tend to, at least the psychedelics I've heard, uh, I have a friend who studies those uh, intensely and they uh, they are currently writing a paper on how they hypothesize that the one thing that all psychedelics share among them is that they uh, affect what's called self-criticality within the brain. Mm. And self-criticality is this idea of um, this sort of structure like, uh, uh, or rather of the structure that exists uh, getting to the point of chaos, but not beyond it. Sort of this 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 crucial point where the structure is constantly self reorganizing mm. to uh, to become optimal to the conditions that it that it, that it encounters. And so I think that's really what what we're after, both on a personal as well as on a sort of societal scale. And so that that capacity. Um, is what Holochain, I think, starts to make possible for the, let's say, multi-individual in the mm. sense that sort of a, 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 a multiple agent agent, or rather like what's yes. what we would normally call a group. Um, and, and what's more than that, uh, actually, it's just, and sort of this points to how much complexity we haven't even yet talked about, it is just a small, small, small part of a much larger pro like project called Scepter, which is a complete reimagination of the entire computing stack from top to bottom. Um, and, and that sort of is, is a 20 to 30 year down the road project once it's like fully implemented. And so mm. the people behind this, they don't only count on Holochain as like we're saving us or anything like that, but they have a plan to like where we need to go to in 20 years and 30 years, like implement the, the later parts of that project. And so like there is such a depth of thinking behind this that um, <laughs> literally the stuff we talked about here as well changing is sort of a small part, a necessary part, but a small part of that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. And, and I feel like just from my own perspective, it's taken me I think a couple of weeks and a lot of exposure to different information sources to really feel like I have a pretty simple grasp on hollow chain and where it's pointing. It's amazing to right. me that it's just the tip of the iceberg. And I, I look forward to kind of it being revealed over time to me. Um, I think if you're listening, yes. uh, I would recommend just starting where you're interested, right? Like there's so much depth, which is part of the reason why this is such a beautiful and exciting project, but it also means that it's a little bit intimidating. And I think that, you know, there is probably something if you made it to the end of this conversation in what we were saying that 
was interesting to you, was exciting to you. And I would just say, start there and trust that it will unfold as it needs to. If you're listening to this and you are very much on the leading, leading, bleeding edge of this stuff. I mean, I was at a Holochain hackathon and like, you know, I installed Holochain on my computer and we tried to run the the Twitter clone and it, and it failed because we're in alpha, right? It's like such early days. Um, but that's a great time to start to align your future vision around what you what, what the future you want to create is. And the beautiful thing about Holochain is it makes that very practical. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's kind of up to us, right? It's not going to just happen. It comes down to, are we going to actually use it? Like I'm already imagining many different use cases in my own life for Holochain. And yes. just going through that process of learning to understand it well enough that you could at least imagine implementing it in different contexts so that when it is actually starting to roll out, you're there and you're ready to go. And it's like, right. you're, you know, and, and you will be, I think, an extremely valuable member of any community, right? This is like a new right. kind of opportunity, a new kind of ecosystem niche in the human experiment that's just, for me personally, as a, as a generalist who, who, you know, can't, doesn't know what kind of jobs to apply for, very, very exciting <laughs> and very intriguing and, and just really kind of t- touching on the level of like, it feels like my path, which is kind of similar, I think, to yours more in terms of the mm. diversity and, yes. you know, the weird, like I spent, you know, three or, f- or four years in like monastic situations and then organizing at Occupy Wall Street, like that diversity of experiences actually feels perfectly suited in a certain way for this uh, emerging kind of expressive capacity and profession. And so if you are like me, a generalist and a weird, you know, autodidact, this is a really, really exciting project. And um, I, I, I am really looking forward to like following it as it continues to unfold and sharing more with, with this audience and, and all of that. Right. And I want to make uh, one thing visible here, which is that uh, it is actually pretty easy to go from complete and utter lack of capacity uh, to something that approaches something usable. So actually at one of the hackathons, I think in Melbourne, at least somewhere in Australia, we had somebody, a, a woman come in um, who like was very interested, but who has no programming ability whatsoever. And within the two days, she ended up programming a an MVP, like a, a very basic proof of concept for her idea. I think it was like a a library uh, or like a, like a decentralized book uh, index or something like that. And now she has a basis with which to seek out other people who can actually do the difficult work of mm. polishing that up and making it usable. Mm. And so it is actually relatively easy if you are able to like go there and then have somebody facilitate your engaging with it. And then uh, it is possible. So that's, that's one thing, but you pointed also to the, the, the deep, relevance of how to learn which is following what you're interested in and and i was sort of want to emphasize that point that um the way that i ended up being fluent in all these different systems and sort of approaching the world was through following my curiosity and to focus on whatever captures my attention and so i would also suggest to the listeners to Instead of just like listening to us and, and, and thinking, oh, they're, they're raving on about Holochain, um, I, should, I should agree with them, or I should follow them, follow what it captures your attention, what makes your sort of uh, uh, pike up and, and, and listen and, and perk up your ears and, 
and then follow down that path. And then I think I and both both you and I will be very happy to point you to whatever resources you need to to learn more about what interests you. And then wherever that takes you, whether that be a holochain or not, I think that's a path worth pursuing. Yeah, it really feels like, and, and this is just one more example of this being a kind of true statement that we're moving into an era where the capacity to follow your interests and t- and let that take you and make you be into the kind of person that you become as a result of doing that is one of the most important skills and qualities and and just capacities to be able to follow that interest and learn what you need to learn and go where you need to go and it's just so exciting to be moving to a time where that might actually be I don't know we, where we can leverage that and really beautiful and amazing ways. So Moritz, thank you so yes. much for this conversation. It's fascinating. And, and I think we'll have more. I would like to talk to you at length, actually, about learning. I know that you and I share uh, a fascination with Tiago Forte's uh, approach to productivity. And I'm sure there's yes. a lot more um, kind of intersections we can play in. So I, I definitely look forward to future conversations. And uh, thank you f- uh, for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your experience and uh, some of what you're seeing in the world. My absolute pleasure. And uh, I'm happy to come back anytime.